Hello everybody, it's Gary Stuckey with Real Music. On today's show, I've got a special guest. Now, he's not a musician. He's an actor. His name is Keith Coogan. You might know he's the grandson of the late, great Jackie Coogan of the Adams Family, you know, Uncle Fester. Uh, but Keith has been on a lot of TV shows in the 80s. You might know <laughs> he's been on just like every one of them, like Silver Spoons or Knight Rider or Chips, you know, just to name a few. Uh, he's been in a lot of movies, too. Uh, I really love Adventures in Babysitting and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. We're going to talk about those movies and a lot more stuff. Uh, he's been in a lot of other things, too. You need to check them out. And we talk about what he's been doing. Got some new projects coming up. Uh, what a blast to talk to him. Really cool guy. But here he is. Here's Keith Coogan. What's going on, thank man? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no, I just hopped off another, um, uh, what was that, a Google Meetup interview. And uh, thank you for uh, putting me in here. I have terrible schedule, and I really appreciate it. Uh, hey, man. you moving things around and doing it right now sure and uh you know having a lot going on that's a good thing right when you're busy it is i like to i mean i fight it i like to focus on one thing and have time around it um here i feel like i've been lost you know down the uh, goonies water slide so yeah right, right. just gonna ride with it um hey. you know what is so what's it? God, God doesn't throw anything at you that you're not prepared for. <laughs> this is true. He, he sure don't do that. So what's been going on with you lately? Uh, I know you, you've been busy here lately, as you said. So what's up with that? Oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, we had been picking back up after pandemic on the autograph convention circuit. Going nuts. Two, three uh, conventions a month. A lot of travel and then um a couple projects i was working on something great thing that i just had to put a lot of time into um and with a non-disclosure agreement i signed it's like the one thing i want to talk about but can't um yeah, yeah. and right as that wraps up uh uh just summer and uh, travel i work for a living i have a actual nine to five at a at a um, Sony Studios is a tour guide. Cool. Here, here's the Esther Williams stage. Um, cool. And uh, which is really special. I had my grandfather and great grandfather worked there you know, 99 years ago in 1924. Wow. And uh, so that I, I, it's great. They're really flexible. So I need to do an autograph convention. It's just, um, you know, you work Monday through a uh, bit of Friday, hop on a plane go do the autograph setup autograph convention friday night saturday sunday hop on a plane come home i'm not complaining but i'm complaining i'm whining i'm just whining that's all never mind me i love it i love the trouble i love it we wouldn't do it if i didn't um and I don't it, think just sometimes play. it's feast or famine it when it rains it pours and there could be nothing for 18 months and then everything fits into 18 days so that's you know <laughs> but how soon you forget though you know when, when nothing's happened you know you're like you know, but that's just that's life, though. You know, you it's go drinking. You gotta take the shot first, and then drink beer. Yeah, because you take the shot that goes right to your bloodstream, that's and right. then your beer it comes in slow. Now, if you do it the other way around, if you drink the beer first, 
that doesn't hit your bloodstream for a minute. Then you take a shot. They both hit your bloodstream at the same time and you get sick. There you go. Right now, I don't know what order I took the drinks in, but someone keeps buying. Yeah, right. (laughs) And what are you up to? Where are you? What what area of the world? I am in Bruton, Alabama, South Alabama. Fantastic. I say home of William Lee Golden of the Oak Ridge Boys. That's how I always say that, you know, the guy with the long beard in the Oak Ridge Boys. Uh, But yeah, man, uh, I'm excited to talk to you. Been a fan for a long time, you know, and growing up, you know, you got me by a few years, but in that that age group, some of the best times ever, the 80s were the best times ever. Can anybody deny that? Can they they dispute Mm. that comment? Well... Um, if I said Mikey, Data, Chunk, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. If I said um, Atreyu and Bastion and uh, you know what I'm talking about, Sarah, Brad, Daryl, Chris. Um, there was a time travel movie in the 80s. I don't know if you saw it. Michael J. Fox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was that right. all about? No, no, no. He played a character named Marty McFly. Marty McFly. Yeah, that's right. So there's a new time travel movie out, I think right at Pandemic. Um, The Tomorrow War on Amazon, Brian. And they said it's as many viewing hours as the original Back to the Future. I'll give you $1,000 if you can name Chris Pratt's character from The Tomorrow War. Oh, wow. I'll, I'll wait. You'll wait. Let me go. I'll Google. Yeah. Well, okay. Now that's all. But the thing, it's Dan something. So the thing is, is there's not, they don't make characters. They're cut, but cutouts. They are, they serve a function of an effect and an arc to serve a runtime and be content. That's as, as simple as I could say it. How, how few do you come across? Anything that breaks the boundaries of that gets thrown all the way over into art film, lower budget, Sundance bait, Oscar bait. Um, there's no in-between picture anymore. I think yeah. that Jennifer Lawrence did a great job with, um, uh, oh God, what's her? No Hard Feelings. A funny, yeah. dirty, sexy comedy in theaters, and it made its money. Um, but that's Sony for you. Sorry, I'm plugging my own studio. Hey, there you go. They'll, they'll throw you some money. <laughs> Which I'm way. not allowed to do during the strike, so shh, no, no, no. Yeah. Don't um, tell anybody. How do I know uh, yeah. that wasn't a negative pickup? No, well, um, I yeah, love. Yeah, uh, I love. I love to see movies in theaters, and it doesn't have to just be the Marvel and the superhero and the Star Wars stuff. It could be, you know, funny little character dramas. And the eighties had tons of that. Look at their Breakfast Clubs sure. and well, Sixteen Candles had some scope. Um, you know, there were um, there were smaller movies, coming of age movies. They all did the 80s, of course, came up with the hook. Mm-hmm. That one hook that you could tell Jeffrey Katzenberg in the elevator on the way down for the animation building at Disney. And you could be like, hey, uh, it's Dennis Quaid and Martin Short. And then we shrink one and put them in the other. Oh, great. Green like that. So cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, the movies, you know, it, it didn't really matter about the plots and this. I mean, you just expected a good movie. And they were just coming out a lot of times. You know, you just, the actors were there. You knew that the movie, I don't know. 
it was just good times. The movies were just kind of automatic. I don't know. They you, just seemed like ex- they were expected it to be original. Yeah. You know, a Doberman gang, which I love Doberman gang. Um, they should remake that. Uh, you know, you don't know when you're going in, if it's going to be French connection or exorcist or clockwork orange or, uh, um, every which way, but loose. Oh, Everything yeah. has a different texture or tone. You have some filmmakers making the greatest films of their careers, like 2001 or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, and, uh, um, Bonnie and Clyde. Um, the, uh, those kinds of films in the eighties, there was a nice medium picture. They only cost 10, maybe $20 million to produce. They usually had a light action adventure to it. Um, risky, um, outrageous fortune, uh, ruthless people. Um, a lot of these are touchstone films, mind you stakeout. Yeah. There was a Katzenberg decree. He said, we're going to make, um, $8 million movies. Just cap the budget at that. And uh, every once in a while, you hope you get a $100 million hit. And then uh, they created the single most successful film finance uh, company ever, Silver Screen Partners 3, which financed all of the Touchstone films, including Adventures in Babysitting. Of course. Gave gave you 600% return on your money. Oh, wow. (laughs) Can you tell me any other investment that gives you Six hundred percent return on your money. I, I wish oh my I God. <laughs> Crazy. And now, you know, and you studios pretty much always had to run to the bank for a bank loan to make movies. So it's just getting more expensive um to borrow the money. <laughs> yeah, right. Part of the budget it's, is the interest yeah. they gotta pay back. That's right. It's not the same as it used to be as far as that goes, right? I mean, uh no. it's a different world. Um, and everyone failed up. Um, Lucas with THX one one three eight, Spielberg with Sugarland Express. Um, Landis had a pretty foul, I think one before Animal House. I don't even think he counts it. Um, <laughs> that James Cameron disowned Piranha too. Right? Was it Piranha? I think so. I, I like that movie. I, that scared the crap out of me. Oh, they're see. great. All of them are great. Every horror film ever made between 1974 and 1987, 8. When was Freddy 4 out? 88, that, 89? Yeah, I was going to say late 80s. Yeah, that's yeah. the end of the great, that horror era from Sean S. Cunningham and um, New Line Cinema and Wes Craven. Um, you had uh, Freddy. You had Jason, you had uh, uh, Mike Myers. Right. Uh, it was fantastic. Uh, and Love we it. didn't care that it got kind of worse or better. Um, <laughs> right. They really only had, I think all of them only had one like bad one. You could say for Freddie, it was two. For Jason, yeah. it might have been Jason 3D. Yeah. Um, for um, uh, Halloween, Halloween that third two. One. Was it oh, two the or three? One, the third one. Which, yeah, that was the third one, and they didn't have. He wasn't even in the Michael Myers. Wasn't in the, that movie sucked. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't go shoot another movie and then go. We're gonna slap the title on it and call it that and retcon yeah. it back into the universe. I remember there was a movie that came out, Dead and Buried, and I don't know if you like horror or anything like that. Yeah. Just oh god, 
We had good zombie movies, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But zombie, funny zombies. The Return of the Living Dead, Night of the Living Dead 2 zombies. It was fun. The 80s were it, fun, right? Yeah, I mean, it just, it, it they're memorable. I mean, the movies were memorable, but you had memorable people. The actors were great. Not that they're not today. I don't know. It just it was something. There's it was a magical time, uh, right? Yeah, and it was. I think it was kind of before straight to video because really, I think ET was one of the first big video releases. I know Alien was the first uh, movie to be released on video cassette. Um, that that the straight-to-video thing didn't really feel like it happened until, you know, the 80s things petered out, I feel. Yeah. Like Aladdin 2, you know, yeah. things like that, where you're like, ah, we yeah, like, we start to understand what it... I guess B-movies, you know, then started to go back to straight-to-video. Right. Um, but there was a moment in the 80s where everything got on the screen, from Repo Man to, you know, Three Ninjas. We'll throw right. it up on the screen. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> let's see what happens yeah um that was some cool i mean i remember though i missed going to the like movie uh what was it movie gallery or blockbuster or whatever you call it, and uh renting movies on a friday night i miss i miss the simple times <laughs> you don't have those everything's out there you can do anything you want to now you know there was no you know i just i just miss going to move, waiting to see and not knowing everything like on the internet you find out everything about everything you find out all about the movie and who's in it and what's it, you know there was kind of a mystery years ago you didn't really understand even on tv shows you know when you were you'd look at tv guide yeah. or something and that would show you some things you know but there wasn't a whole lot of uh uh things out there but uh you know I feel like because I saw a lot of movies, I was exposed to new movies coming out for the trailers, trailers coming out. Right. And then the poster would show up and you go, oh, it's coming. And it was it. The trailer, the poster, then the thing dropped. There wasn't yeah. a lot of behind the scenes or let's go visit the set. Right. Entertainment Tonight kind of a thing. They started right. to do that. But um, they 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 maybe even would do teasers, which had no footage for the movie. Think the first Gremlins teaser or... um. Uh, they would just have a shot of something and they're like coming this summer yeah. uh, and literally <laughs> just tease you. <laughs> yeah. Love but that voice. there wasn't a lot of coverage going up now, except if you were into effects or horror, you could go to Fangoria uh, and yeah. FX magazine and see yeah. all of the sets and creatures before the thing comes out. Right. Exactly. Um. Well, let's go back in time now, because I want to know this. There's things I want to know about you. Like, uh, you know, how old were you when you first started uh, acting? You had to be pretty young when you first had your first role. How old were you? Uh, first job was stand-in on a McDonald's commercial. Um, and uh, the director actually wanted to use me for it, because I didn't know the difference between stand-in and being the kid in the commercial. So I was like, ooh, Big Mac, yeah. He's like, yeah. oh, get, get the kid with the eyes. And um, then uh, I wound up doing like extra work once. Yeah. I think it was a Coast Soap commercial. You saw my left shoulder. It was a school bus, and the school bus driver was having a day. Um, we're all we're all in our places with bright shiny faces. We just sing. I'm sorry, my wife's right over here. <laughs> She's um, like, 
And then I got an Orbit, yeah, chewing gum. And then the McDonald's guy called back and I did a series of McDonald's commercials, then Texaco and and KFC and sugar corn pops and Diggum Smacks and Rice Krispies, a lot of cereals, a lot uh-huh. of cereals. Um, a lot of animated characters where you have to, ooh, look and kind of imagine there's something there. <laughs> I was good with like the props and hitting the mark and the stuff. And so they're like, hey, we got done early. Let's hire this kid again. Yeah, right. And that turned into continuing to do commercials. Then I started to do uh, guest appearances on TV shows like Chips um, right. and Movies of the Week. Uh, some intense ones at first, Battered with Mike Farrell and Carol Grassle, Chip Fields, uh, Kitty Lester. And it was about domestic violence. Wow. Um, purely legal matter about lesbian mothers being sued by the ex dad for custody of the kids and I was the kid they were fighting over. And these oh, wow. were heavy. They were like I am me and Golden Globe nominated. And I was very, very cool. But I'm instantly at six, I'm working with method actors like Jenna Rollins, Jane Alexander, Klugeuliger. Um and so and I was, was also working with hacks on commercials. Uh, where you could see the dad in you know the commercial just grinding his teeth thinking about the coke he's gonna buy with the money he just made in the commercial and I'm like boy these these people need a break um <laughs> and then but you know getting to work like I did an early commercial for viewmaster viewer one of my earlier jobs and uh, uh Henry Fonda in the commercial oh, wow. um I was hanging upside down out of a tree but uh yeah so like Pops commercial, I'm up on a bike, thirty feet in the air, like an ET riding the bike, blue screen kind of a thing. <laughs> Weird stuff. I did. Uh, then I did like after school specials. Uh, one was Rascal, oh. based on the Sterling North book, uh, and um, worked with live raccoons. This started a trend of me working with animals, uh, from the chicken and the cat and the horses and the dog uh, on Walton's. Um, Harold is the cat. I don't remember the chicken's name. Uh, Reckless is the dog. Uh, the Western series where I rode Western and English saddle. Worked with snakes, um, cheetah, hippos, rhinos, every single and Lassie. I got to present a Kids Choice oh. Award with Lassie. So Very I was good. just weirdly, weirdly good with props and animals and all that stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, just and, and at this point. I'm auditioning for movies and I'm not getting the shining Goonies gremlins stand by me Christmas story, the toy Lucas name it. Uh, and you get close. You're like, Oh, it's down to me and somebody else. And, um, but, and then continuing TV all the way through the Waltons, a couple of other little series, um, lots of guest appearances, Knight Rider even. Oh Yeah. Fantasy Island, uh, Mork and Mindy, Laverne and Shirley. Uh, and then I got Adventures of Babysitting, which was, oh, and also back in 79, 78, started uh, on Fox and the Hound. Yes. Did the voice from 78, 79, 80, and the movie came out in 81. I remember. I actually yeah. talked to Corey Feldman, who did mm-hmm. the other voice. So now yep. I've completed my people to talk to about the Fox and the Hound. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm nineteen. What nineteen eighty one? I was I was in you know in elementary school and I'm watching the movie. Never thinking that I would talk to the fox and the hound one day. And now, 
now my journey is complete. Hey, uh, <laughs> but, but th those roles, though, so cool, though, to be a kid and your experience in that. How do you, how does a kid separate that, you know, reality from, you know, when you're acting and it's something in your mind, you're going, okay, I'm going to do this role. But at the same time, you got to be like, oh, man, there's whoever the main star of the show. I love this guy. How do you be serious and be calm and just focus as a kid? Oh, you see, like you see them being a human, too. Yeah. Like, oh, they don't know their lines. They can't handle the prop. They, you know, uh, break character during the filming. And you go, they're people, too. They, they instantly relax. And the better ones at that were David Hasselhoff, Ralph Wade, Michael Learned, um, Michael Landon. Um, they could all be a little brusque, have some salty language, oh, tell yeah. the truth. Well, you're going to do it that way? That sucked. I mean, you what? Oh, snap into it. These are Broadway seasoned legendary actors. So quickly, and my grand, you know, my family didn't suffer um, not trying or not preparing as long as you, you, you know, give it your best shot. Um, then, uh, yeah, you know, sometimes you're miscast. Let's just be honest. And I did work a lot. Um, and, uh, yeah, sometimes you just say you hit a part that you're not, uh, not quite ready for. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, of course your, your grandfather, Jackie Coogan, um, so that had to help you in some ways in your acting career. How, how did that, how did he influence you though? If my mother would let anybody know that he was my grandfather. Ah, so uh -huh. you'll, you'll notice my early credits are all under Keith Mitchell. That's right. For 10 years. Wow. Everything wow. from uh, 1976 to 1986. I did under my mother's main uh, uh, married name. My birth name. So, because it was my mother's father who was Jackie Coogan. Right. So, she's a Coogan, but I'm not. Um, so, uh, after establishing a 10-year TV career, about 80 hours of television, and then when I did uh, Got Adventures of Babysitting, I call, we called Silver Spoons because I'd already done it, and they were going to bill me as Keith Mitchell. And we said, can we change that to Coogan? And so, it was two years after Jack had died, and I felt that if I keep working in this industry, I would like them to remember him and oh keith coogan oh you know his grandfather was da, 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 da. and so that that's kind of the reason i did it um and also helped change from adolescent kid tv to growing up being a young adult um change the name you know you're changing your headshots every year or two anyway um, yeah but... and at that time we had seen artists like madonna completely change their look their sound their producers their hair or outfits like a, you go wait i thought she was iconically the lace and the thing no now yep. she's this and you go, oh now it's something else and you go you can do that you're allowed to do that right and um my focus has always been to be a character actor so i would dye my hair cut my hair shave the thing wear makeup do whatever to become that other person loved it love the favorite part of the job is creating a character cool did your grandfather, though, give you uh, advice as far as uh, acting? And, and what did he say to you? He didn't give you no. anything, nothing no, to remember? No, he would never go near that. That's sacred. Um, that's He'd say, that's yours. That's yours to make your decisions and do your thing. I had gone up for Tom Sawyer, and he had done the first um, talkie version of Tom Sawyer. 
when he was 13. And um, uh, I said, oh, and Disney's doing a new version. I said, oh, you know, Grandpa, I'm going to go up for Tom Sawyer. Would you help me with the with the scene? And he goes, no. Nah. Um, oh, wow. That's for you to work on and and prepare yourself. So that was a good lesson. <laughs> nobody's gonna nobody's gonna make it easy for you, and they no one can make your decisions for you too, or else they won't be honest. Yeah, right. That's was that the tough love kind of thing going on with the oh, very um, tough. Most yeah. people have a premiere; they get accolades. I got notes. <laughs> I mean, really? My, I mean, you know, no, seriously. My mom, people, family would be like, "Oh, well, that was good." In this, you could have done. I go, "It's out. This is the movie." <laughs> live with it and that's i learned to live because i did work a lot i learned to live with it. you learn you do it you move on to the next job and um you don't and uh necessarily if you work enough you're lucky enough not to have to dwell on any part yeah. was that the end of my career no you're on another job and um, um you have uh, plenty of opportunities to make that your last job <laughs> there's always that <laughs> we got every job the last day of work you're like well that's it going on unemployment tomorrow never work again hey, the key at is least... to get on to another movie before the last one comes out because if it's go. a bomb you might not get another part <laughs> you gotta be ready for it um but that, that you know being surrounded by people that that probably came in handy though with people telling you the truth as opposed to people blowing smoke and, and buttering you up and saying absolutely lies. oh that's sure that'd be good yeah, Family members, they do remind you you're nothing in it because it is about the studios. It's about the money. It is about the audience, first of all. Um, and we had already seen things like I was on the Waltons when I was nine. They'd fired John Boy. If they can fire John Boy off yeah. of his own show, the Waltons, replace him with an actor that looks just like him, even as the mole. Then you go, you know what? Keep your head down. Do your part. Don't try to be too bad. Unless you come into a lot of money and you can run your own network, then shut the hell up and do the best you can and make it quick. Make it snappy. They got to get to lunch. Wow. That was known as One Take Mitchell. Wow. They they got it. They're like, we got it. It was clear. He said every word. Yep. That was the same. We got it. Do we need to take another? No. They checked the gate. It was very, very... That was part of my pride was being able to nail it when you roll the camera um, just because you were, you were disciplined though into that right because you were so i guess because of all yeah nobody, nobody really probably everyone bragged. had respect for film uh then yeah. like tv and tape or like taping a tv show that's different that's live that's like doing theater and they're happy to film it film is expensive mm-hmm. and it takes a lot of time to set up and light and um you have to respect it. And uh, that might be part of the reason. I'm not saying actors aren't talented. But I don't think the actors are given the time to respect the take. They're just like, all right, ready? Right, rolling, go. We're shooting a rehearsal. Yeah. Oh, pick up. from. The, they don't let them get into a scene and like really, yeah. you know, they, they really just, the, the, the manufacturing part of making a movie is overtaken. The art part, to some, you know, what we are seeing is great writing comes through, but it also isn't enjoying the same process that we used to have. So in network television in the past, they would write a pilot and the audience kind of liked it. They go, they did, but we, they don't like that. Okay, all right, get rid of them. Ooh, add a new girl. Okay, cool. Then you start the series and you get an order of six, maybe 12. You do half of the season. And then they go, as they're going, as they're airing them, 
they're listening to the audience. Hey, they really like Sam and Diane. I don't know. Let's okay. And you can start adjusting episodes as you go. And uh, it can totally evolve. They really like something someone's doing. They can start adding more of them. Um, Today they shoot everything and then dump it at once. You can binge watch everything. No chance for an audience to come in, start to affect the show, start to be vocal online. Lost. We understood that J.J. Abrams, David Lindenoff were in the message boards we were in. Sucking story ideas right off of us. Right. And that's cool. <laughs> We're like, watch, polar bear. All of a sudden, a damn polar bear shows up on the show. Yeah, right. It worked. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I wish I was, I should have done that. I didn't think about that. Uh, oh, I, I've got to go back. I think I found one of the message boards I lurked for Lost. Lost was one of the greatest television shows ever. Yeah. Uh, uh, was it same guys that did Alias? I liked Alias. Yeah, it was a good. Yeah. Always like, um, you were talking about roles that you were up for, all those cool '80s roles that you mentioned, you know, like Stand by Me or something. What What was a role that you were so close to getting that you almost got and you didn't get, and you were so disappointed? Were there some of those? Oh, I mean, I dream a little dream. I had been cast as Digger, had gone to the production office, hanging out. Um, and then was at the Young Artist Awards and uh, Feldman on stage goes, and I want to introduce my co-star. And I'm like, getting ready to stand up. Corey, what? what? So oh. no one told me I wasn't in the movie anymore. And that kind of broke my heart. Um, oh. But uh, oh, but that was a uniquely Haim role. No one could have done it like Haim did. So yeah, Digger's totally Haim. Yeah, totally. Um, um, so much yeah. so that when his mother ran over him with a car on accident, we presume if you met Corey, it might not have been on accident. Um, is that <laughs> sorry, love him to death, but <laughs> um, that they go, We're not going to reshoot, we're not going to go back to our, our first, second choice, Keith. We're just going to put Digger in a cast and have him do the movie in the cast. Oh, thank god, I didn't catch break. Uh, but it's well, fine. I understood there's people that wanted to be in um, Toy Soldiers that couldn't. So, oh, you got that. Yeah, though. No, tell me something, though. Making these movies, a lot of your movies, though, are comedies. You're funny. You're that yes. character guy. You got long love hair. Comedy. You're funny. Yes. And I love them too. That's my favorite movies of all time. But how <laughs> do you go from that to a serious role? If you want to be in a serious role, how does somebody go, that's that guy? He's crazy. How is he going to be? There's no difference, I don't think. Because I take my comedy very seriously. And I think that the key to drama is to not play it super serious. Be loose. Be, you know, people are take grief or shock or, you know, fright. They all handle it differently. Some people are like, they're going to kill us. We're dead. How would we gotten game over, man? Game over. If Paxton hadn't tapped into a complete seven-year-old who's lost his teddy bear. So it, you know, I don't know. That's right. Um, Well, how much of your, of you comes out in a character? I mean, I know when you're, you're taking a role seriously and you're, you're you're getting into that character, but is to somehow some of you comes out kind of naturally. So you use it, you roll with it. I mean, you're applying all of your subjective experiences to this character and in cases where you haven't done this thing or had this scene that you have to imagine or, you know, 
there's so many different methods. One is living realistically under imagined circumstances. So you imagine the whole thing as real as you can. And then how would you really react? Uh, others is just build a character. You see how he'd react. You're like, oh, I want him to do this. And you go, how do I get there? Um, that's kind of crafting from the outside in. And um, certain movies need that. Like Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Can't cut to someone sitting there doing Olivier or Brando. Mm -hmm. uh, the pacing needs very certain movements and actions and a way of delivering the lines. Um, you can't all of a sudden stick out of, uh, you know, Moonrise Kingdom or uh, Asteroid City. You know, there's a tone of performances that are consistent with that director, that filmmaker, and that piece. Right. So, um, uh, no, I love, as a matter of fact, when I was younger, I excelled at drama and couldn't get arrested in comedy. I wound right. up doing all of the heavy stuff and crying and all of that stuff. And um, half the time I could do it, half the time it would be glycerin or have little menthol things that blow in your eye and it makes them water. Oh, wow. um, um, hell, for Blood Diamond, they just CGI'd a tear down Jennifer Connelly's cheek. Oh, wow. Um, the most trouble. And, and then I heard another story that's BS and that they said, Jennifer, can we have a tear? And she said, which cheek <laughs> better if it came over here and she go okay and she cried the <laughs> tear ding out of that cheek so i like that version of the story better is the actor going oh yeah which cheek <laughs> that's 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 crazy man which cheek get an onion up here or something um uh, that's crazy crazy stuff oh the movie uh adventures of babysitting how'd you get that role how was oh, that? Uh, ruling that? auditions once again. You get this script, crazy title, and um, you're like, "Oh wow, this is the thing. This they're going to do this." You can't quite picture it. I don't think I could have because the commitment that Chris Columbus made to make it Chicago and make it night and dark and um, the look of that movie. I couldn't. That's what I couldn't imagine is how that movie looked. I imagine how the scenes went when I read the script and uh, it pretty much wound up exactly like that. They changed a lot of the script. There were just mechanics of the plot, places we went, things we did that, that we changed. And um, as went, we had a lot of rehearsal, two weeks, which was unbelievable because we would put it on its feet and then be able to play around with it and improvise. And then Sue Richards, the script supervisor, would write that down and then it would show up in pages. And then, so then you build off of that. It's the Kubrick technique. Um, wow. And you then you get to, and then you cut. You don't need that. We don't need it. We trim it down to just the things that we really need to just push it, push it, push it. And the and the thing about Adventures of Babysitting is it, it just doesn't give you time to think. It just keeps pushing the kids forward from one issue to the next. Right. And then while right. developing them kind of coming of age throughout the whole night. Um, individually, what you think is great. You got Daryl confronting his um, sexist kind of ways. Right. Uh, Brad realizing just because he wants it doesn't mean he gets it. Right. Um, uh, Sarah gets to meet her hero. Both right. let down and proven that heroes exist. And uh, Lisa gets, you know, uh, Chris gets to uh, grow up and just realize that she's lying to herself about her boyfriend. And, um, uh, and you know, she should move on. I'd say it's great on all. And Brenda, oh poor Brenda, everyone just forgets about Brenda. And yeah. Penelope, Penelope was so. I mean, 
no one. I, 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 she's great in the relic. Um, great in uh, Carlita's way. She's great in everything. But the scream she gives with the jumbo sized sewer rat, <laughs> blood curdling. And to watch dailies on that, because we were invited to dailies and we'd oh, go cool. watch every day after work. You go in wherever there, you know, the screening room was set up. And um, that was a joy to watch the outtakes from the whole, um, all the bus sequences with Penelope. She was great. It looked like a lot of fun. I got to say that that movie, I wish I was in that movie. It looked like I would, I would have had a great time. I know it, but uh, it had to be fun to show up and just do the scenes, especially oh, yeah. when you're oh, younger. And you're feeling they're working, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you're younger, okay. You're feeling working. There's a lot of trust because there's no interstitial music. There's no, the blues licks come over as we run and the smoke goes like all of that stuff. All of the little pieces really, really, came together nice yeah um well all i had to do was you know learn my bit so the 130 other crew members and uh phenomenal cast oh my god how much of eventually babysitting kept working after that even all the bit players they all just kept working sure sure a lot of a lot of great people in there like elizabeth Chu though mm-hmm. as a kid you know I, you idolize all these actors and I was jealous of you for working with Elizabeth Shue, you know, so, but uh, <laughs> I'm just saying it, 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 all those movies though, was just, it, it made you just daydream, you know, and you're thinking, you know, could this really happen? Uh, did you ever have a babysitter in real life? Mm, nah, probably not. It wasn't family or something like that. Um, I did have a little brother who was 11 years younger than me, 10 years younger than me. And, um, he had a babysitter that um, I wound up seeing at the jet strip down by LAX strip club going out with friends, celebrated their 21st birthday. And we're like, we'll go to the strip club and we go and uh, there's my little brother's babysitter. Other than that, no, I have not had any weird babysitting stories. That, that's the sequel to that movie that you're going to knock. Don't tell mom the babysitter is a stripper. <laughs> Hey, that, hey, they that did have to change the title of Adventures of Babysitting in the uh, UK market, though. Oh, really? And not I, I used to think it was because of babysitting, and they have like au pairs and nannies. They don't know what babysitting it is. And the British fans are like, we know exactly what babysitting is. And they broke it down to me. At the time, in the 80s, there was a series of movies called Adventures in Cab Driving, Adventures in Holiday Resort, Adventures, and they were softcore porn. Oh, wow. So... so they yeah. were naughty. They were naughty video nasties. So um, in order to not get confused with that series of films, they would think, oh, it's just an even worse title, Adventures in Babysitting. That's like the sounds like the best of the series. So they just wanted to avoid it. So they called it A Night on the Town. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that works. <laughs> Whatever, right? Uh, but... Uh, babysitting, you know, it seemed to be a theme now because I, I, I love, you know, the other babysitting movie. Uh, Don't tell mom uh, the babies. I mean, yeah, the babysitter's dead. Um, now that character in there, you're talking about Corey Feldman earlier. Uh, I asked him about the Burbs movie. In the Burbs movie, he's all, you know, hey, dude, hey, man, you know, and you're kind of like that in that movie, you know, kind of like, you know, spaced out, you know, pothead or whatever. Uh, was that how how fun was that to be that guy in that movie? You oh know? God! Well, <laughs> you're playing a character who 
doesn't care about anybody. Totally selfish, self-centered. Um, and it was, you know, and I took it, I took the part. I really wanted the part because he changes and he goes through a transformation and he cleans up his act and he leans into something um, productive, the cooking. So um, of the uh, battered or the purely legal matter that you know, a question of love movie or um, other uh, you know important things I've done. Don't tell mm-hmm. them on the babysitters that has actually had more fans come to me and say <laughs> they were layabouts sitting on the couch, burnout, and they saw Don't Tell My Babysitter's Dead and they started cooking. And now they are the head chef at a uh, five-star resort in, in Miami or personal chef on a yacht. Or no, seriously. And this isn't one, two, five, six, dozens fan mail online, in person at conventions. And that really blew me away. I didn't think wow. that. But it was that part of the character that I, and this is all, these, these are just movies. They're not important, yeah. but I take them really seriously when I'm making them. And I like that he had a um, transformation into, into cleaning up. That was a great character arc. And you remember characters that, that change the most. Death is the biggest change. You just don't want to die too early in the movie. Yeah. You want most of the movie, then you die. <laughs> Hold <laughs> off on that. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, that, that's not that's not a bad thing uh to uh for people to see a character and really get so caught up in it to make them transform their life i mean that has to say something to you i mean i i know you know you might not think it i don't know it's a big deal but i I think movies i think movies mean a lot to people sometimes people don't really separate the the reality from you know, fantasy. And and sometimes they kind of take it to heart, you know, and they're like, well, yeah, we have the taxi driver incident and, um, uh, uh, kids setting fire to things after watching Beavis and Butthead. There's been instances where they've tried to pin or directly the perpetrator said, Oh, I was inspired by this. Um, so that, that is unfortunate, but, but, I'd say, oh, it would be terrible if you made movies that were super safe and didn't offend anybody, but they make them. They make them all the time. That's what we're looking at right now. Yeah. We're looking at movies that aren't um, transgressive in any way, and they're not really pushing it um, or uh, shocking people or making them think. Um, there was a little bit of take this job and shove it in the 80s and the yuppies. There was something, there was a class to kind of like ridicule the working class the people paying the five bucks to go to see a movie mm-hmm. um and uh you can't talk down to the working class so there are movies that are ridiculous now they'll probably never get remade gung-ho great movie love gung-ho um but wouldn't be remade today um but that had um incredible patriotism and uh, uh actually nationalism america first yeah uh american manufacturing um we also had in the 80s we had like the farm and the there were movies about like the depression and uh there were were some there were some rough movies that came out that i was like i was not into seeing at the time i did like the you know i'd rather go see um uh, escape from new york than uh something super serious yeah right I went to so many movies in the 80s. Oh, my God. 
uh, two, three weekend, easy, everything that came out, go see and friends in, uh, ushers at the theater. So just walk in theater hop, all that stuff. Right. One of the, one of the ushers was Sean Aston. Oh, cool. Studying for a part. So he got a job as a, as a, <laughs> the man theaters. <laughs> I love his commitment, man. He really goes one step further than I do. <laughs> That's one way to do it, though. I mean, he, he really gets in there and, and does it. Um, what What is an actor, though, that you've worked with that really that you just admired so much and really kind of changed your life? And you kind of looked at him like, wow, I really enjoy this. Uh, um, Billy Peterson on Cousins. I've always had daddy issues and he was such a man's man with the Buick and the boots, Marlboro Reds and the, just the whole, he'd been in kick-ass movies like To Live and Die in LA and Manhunter. And um, so that was, I would sidle up to Billy Peterson anytime that we were, you know, happen to be on the set together and hang out with him and um, just, he was just so cool and such a, this guy's guy. And um, I don't know what I learned from him, <laughs> but I guess it's own it, be yourself and, um, you know, let the chips fall where they may, you know, uh, right. it worked out for him. He had a great, he has a great career. You see a size, such a phenomenal show. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Billy, Billy Peterson was a huge impact. Right. And I'm sure you've had a lot of other, uh, actors and uh, actresses, yeah, like you were talking about Michael Landon being serious, and that's something we don't see. You know, sitting at home and watching TV, we don't think about all those things. But a lot of these actors, they're really serious. They're real, like you said, they'll tell you something uh, that's maybe you don't want to hear. It's the truth. Did that? Did you find that happened as you went along into most of your TV shows that you did? Was there a lot of serious? people that were like that they were kind of stern and you kind no, of no, just... i meant the opposite with michael that even on a serious show that he still had some levity oh okay. um a, a, a that's what i meant is you approach the dramatic parts with some humor and you approach the humor dramatically <laughs> the, the comedy comes from not knowing it's funny okay. um and then think of ordinary people or um um terms of endearment there's so much humor in terms of endearment that um you cannot ignore that part of it you're just looking a little bit of a broader range and you've got to try to get into the but it's all got to be real um can't just go from zero to fifth gear you got to kind of gear in so every moment has to be pretty authentic and that's where you got to have time and a really good script uh director who um trust the cast but also can really lead them and set up good uh, scenarios and blocking for them to just live it and do it and good scenes good three four page scenes hard to come by these days everything's just so kind of story beat run um it's weird uh i uh, i had an agent one time it was like well i know a keith coogan part when i see it i didn't know what that really meant but um <laughs> I, I didn't know what that meant, but they knew. I, they they he, can see it. He did. Yeah, he knew what it meant. Uh, <laughs> a lot of these, a lot of these uh, shows, though, that I grew up watching, uh, like Silver Spoons. I mean, do, do you ever talk to any of those people from those shows? Or oh, reminisce? I see. 
Um, no, I mean, I we saw a couple of cast members here and there um, over the years. I uh, my episode, one of Amy Dolan's his first jobs, and I also Billy Jane, who when we were younger he was called Billy Jacoby. He was, uh, we did a couple of things together. He was a bad guy to my good guy, in the raccoon thingy. Um, he, uh, uh, Rick, we did see Rick at, or Ricky, I guess he's going by that again. Um, at, uh, one of Corey Feldman's birthday parties. And, um, I know I kind of just throw by that, didn't I? Um, and Alfonso, we see Alfonso from time to time. Uh, and who, you know, really ran with it. Cause I think that being able to host, and um, uh, he's uh, he's just just keeps working. And uh, Alfonso is great, very positive, and um, he always uh, had a joy uh, coming to the functions or uh, parties and stuff like that. There were a lot of teen parties and stuff, events just to form kind of a community because most of the time the other kids were your competition. So it's nice to be the thing where you're not openly competing against them and you know hang out and have fun and talk about anything but show business <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> none of that stuff that party. oh you're talking, talking about, about movies but as long as nobody here was in any of them <laughs> yeah don't say anything about it. it's the uh, rule <laughs> yeah right what about you talking about competition was there anybody in your kind of age group that you kind of phoenix were... christian slater okay there you go that's it River Phoenix and Christian Slater. God damn it. Um, from, like, well, ah. I, I had booked uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which is a Disney TV series version of the movie. and But my little brother was due to be born at the time that they were supposed to be shooting in Salinas, California. My mother said, I'm not going to give birth in Salinas. So we turned the series down and it went to the second choice, River Phoenix. Oh, wow. That was his first job. He could really play and sing guitar. They were going to just fake it and have someone else sing for me. So it's like, it's so funny what they'll put up with in TV. It's so funny how people, why people get cast or not. And in the eighties, it actually came down to a thing called a Q rating. Well, they, see, walk up to people, they walk up oh. to people on the street and they hold up your name and they go, do you know who this is? And if they do, they get a point. And if they don't, and then you get a rating, a percentage hmm. rating of name recognition. It's called a Q rating. And I was on TV so freaking much in the 80s that it was like, I was up there. They're like, oh, we know that kid. It was I was that kid on those shows is what I was. That's right. <laughs> That's what I used to but call it. I was lucky to never be a Richie Cunningham, to never be, um, you know, uh, to never be the lead in a series that ran for a couple of years. Because then you're always known for that part. No one's going to allow you to reach out or branch out. Um. And so my family had given me this insight of you never want to get hot because you can go cold. You just want to be medium. You just better be warm in terms of your career. Be a journeyman. Be a troubadour. Be just a working actor. That's that whole fear of the network. And dude, they fired John Boy. <laughs> Don't be bigger than the thing. And and it comes from I worked for Disney six times, and the only star in a Disney project is Disney. It's the name that two-year-olds recognize along with Coca-Cola and McDonald's. By two, right. they know what the Disney logo is and what Mickey means. And they create 
a new generation of fans every single year. Every single year, a new group gets up to the age that they can enjoy the animated films or the, you know, so Disney is my, one of my favorite employers. This is why I kept my nose clean or at least never got caught in the nineties. Um, yeah. Uh, that is a brand. I mean, it's a family brand and, um, and, uh, and they, you know, have gone through so many years of great storytelling. So they'll, you know, some of their ballsier stuff, like Rogue One, that was one of the better Star Warses. Like, oh, let's take this chance. He's an effects supervisor. Yeah, he had this idea. He told me in the elevator. We're going to make a movie on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rogue yeah, One, right. fantastic Star Wars. <laughs> of course. You can't, you cannot plan a, a good movie. You cannot. It, it really takes so much work. Everybody involved. Um, constantly. It doesn't just magically happen. You don't hop in and ride along with it. Everyone right. has to push. Everyone has to push one of those big vehicles. Yeah. It takes a lot of people. I understand that. Um, so what is your uh, your formula these days for acting and doing what you do? I mean, what what's your mindset? How do you, you know, set out to do <laughs> whatever you do? I mean, do you have a certain... It's, it's, look at uh, yeah, I do... Uh... You know, I don't have the time that I did when I was a teenager to spend days doing research or, you know, who plays guitar, learn how to play guitar. He cooks, learn how to cook. Um, right. I, I can't do that, but I have also 53 years old. I have the life experience that I, you know, done most of the stuff that I, you know, characters that have done to a point. And actors have to be pretty broad, shallow knowledge of a lot of things. So uh, there's a process of getting it, getting the scene, no, learning it, learning, you know, what the scene's about and then learning the lines and then learning the parts that inspire you that you go, well, that's a nothing line. That's just, oh, hey, your car's ready, sir. Well, what kind of car is it? Is it a beater? Is it really nice? What's your relationship with this guy? Could he hire you? Could he not? Car's ready, sir. (laughs) Or it's a beater. You're car is ready sir i mean there's a million ways to go with that so then you start making choices and you start and then then there's a theory don't um, make a choice too early so just learn your lines just learn your lines learn what it's about and then on when they say rolling that's when you start making the choices right there make them when they're happening i do a little bit of both i plan a lot of different possibilities i love to research the scene and and go um i do uh, quote improv a lot but really it's just the night before at three o'clock in the morning writing down a lot of possibilities and then if they work at the moment i'll whip it out make everybody laugh on set and then all of a sudden it's part of the scene um cool that's cool and you sneak you just got to sneak it in in the first rehearsal then they go what huh it, oh that's good we'll keep it okay cool sometimes <laughs> they tell you loot no lose the thing right um and uh and know that it is all um the ego is very checked when you're cut when a scene's cut, a moment, a line, all roll. It luckily for me hadn't happened a lot, and it keep working. You keep working, and it happens. You go, oh, they cut that. Oh, they cut a little bit of that. Oh, they cut most of. Oh, they cut everything. You saw the side of my face. They still pay you. Okay, cool. And you learn to let it go. Um, you do your best. Whatever happens on screen, whatever they use. There was stuff I was shooting where I go, this is. They don't need this. They literally do not need this scene right here. It is not needed for the part. They should cut it. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud, but okay. 
but I was right. (laughs) Of Um, course you were. The experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not about you. Just, you know, give to the story, give, (laughs) give up to that. And, um, when someone said don't, you can't think about the audience, but I'm like, screw that. I want to work the audience. I want to get that laugh. Just, I love it. There's nothing like peeking in a theater and hearing entire audience laugh at once at something. And then it repeats it, whether they watch it at home or on cable or whatever, you get that same laugh. That And that's everybody, the writing, thing, camera, editing, sound, direction, everyone coming together to get that laugh. Um, nice. That is, that's it. That's why I do it. And that's all I work towards. And I get, get a piece of material. I'm like, how do I make it that Keith Coogan part? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, I won't hold you up or anything. Appreciate I've enjoyed it. My phone is dying. I don't want my phone to cut off. And I'm like, I just hung up on Keith Coogan. Oh, no. And I'll be, I'll hate myself forever. Uh, this has been fun, man. I, uh, I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. I know over on Twitter, I follow you over there and uh, see you over there. But uh, it, it, it's interesting to hear the inside scoops and the inside uh, feelings of, of, of actors um, and understand kind of how that works. But, uh, you know, I hope all the best for you. I know you can't say everything that's going on in the future uh, about, you know, certain things. Uh, yeah, but projects. you can go enjoy Wrong Reasons, just released on Amazon Prime, Apple Plus, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Blu-ray, DVD, uh, produced by Kevin Smith, uh, starring Ralph Garman, Kevin's in it. Harley Quinn's in it. Um, uh, uh, David Keckner, it's fantastic turn in there. Great dramatic turn. David, you kicked ass in your scene and you know it. <laughs> he showed up. David showed up between leaving some other set and on his way to do something else. And he sits down and he looks at me as he's getting his hair making me. He goes, what are we doing today? What is this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's the scene. Here's what this is the, he like didn't know. I mean, and he turned. He knew his stuff. He was totally prepared. But um, he's and that's the thing about great real improv artists. They can be in that moment. So they don't need all this preparation. That's the thing. I'm too afraid of letting people see my real self. I'm this very private, shy actor. That um, you know, I have all of these kind of social things. I can handle a room of three people. I can handle a room of thirty people. I can handle a room of three hundred people. Um. But uh, there's some people that are just really uh, present. They scare me. Sally Kirkland, I'm looking at you. Crazy. Uh, for someone who's so, for me, who's so rigid on like trying to get that moment that's in the script and get to this thing and very structured. And I kind of attack it in a very, you know, thorough method. Then you, then they say rolling and you're in a scene with Sally Kirkland. Forget everything. <laughs> oh my God. But now, and there's no in between. She is the, and she is the marker. Okay, that's it. <laughs> for improvising or being in the moment or being present in a scene. She's also as far as you can get from continuity, saying your lines the same way twice, standing in the same place, hitting a prop, doing anything the same way twice, because you can't. It's another moment. It's uh, a different time. It, that happened right. last take. That's, this is now a new take. And that is the kind of thing that, that's where you get to great, 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 great performances. So, so cool. I, I, that's how I'm working on doing a little bit of both. A lot of the prep and then also being able to let loose at that moment where they roll um, to black out, not know what you did. And later you see it and you go, ooh, that was pretty crazy. That's, that's what I'm <laughs> trying to get to right now. 
because there's well, no stakes. It's fun. It's an elective. You, know, yeah. you don't have to go to drama. You have to go to math and English and all that other stuff. Maybe a little PE. <laughs> you don't have to go to drama. So I have chosen to do this, and I love it too much. <laughs> eh, there, there's, it's never enough. It's not too much. It's never so, enough. Wrong reasons. Do get the Blu-ray because I own the um, bloopers. Oh, my God. Ah. And, and somebody told me that. And I'm like, yeah, right. And then I saw it and I went, oh, OK, that's that's actually my best work I've ever done is actually on the <laughs> blooper reel of wrong reasons. Okay, I'll that <laughs> I'm out. not kidding. I still crack up when I think about it. And then um, look for something in theaters in February. Okay. That's all I can say. Yeah, that will work. Well, I appreciate you talking to me. Thanks, and Thanks for the time. Yes. It's been a treat, man. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward. I think I'm going to go watch uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Hey, can you, yeah. can you say this for me before you go? Can you say, the dishes are done, man? Dishes are done, man. <laughs> Cleans them down to the shine. <laughs> yes. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. Awesome. Hey, uh, the character in that movie, what, what band's would he listen to? Because I have a music uh, podcast. Megadeth, what? Skid Row, um, uh, Motley Crue. Uh, his light listening would be Metallica and, um, you know, I guess Guns N' Roses. I mean, it was just hitting at that time. Yes. I want to say something like that. Uh, yeah. 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 So, oh, uh, Faith No More. Um, yeah. That was a Christina pick, though. Ah, that's a good one, though. I like that. Uh, Dawkin Scorpions. I just he probably to would Six. consider he. I think Kenny would consider Scorpions the greatest rock band ever. Scorpions, also. Yeah, yeah. So cool. Yeah, I will have to crank those tunes up in honor of Kenny. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, man. We'll do this again one day. I appreciate you. I appreciate it. All right, man. Bye. All right, we're going rock and roll. Rock and roll. <laughs> 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 yes, so cool talking to Keith. Hey, if you'd like to know more about Keith, go to his website, keithcooganonline.com for more information. And looking forward to seeing you again. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, always remember to keep the music real. <laughs>